All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's a fitting song on Who Is It Wednesday. Uh, Welcome back to the Jason Greger Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Alberta's only regulated online gambling Website where all the revenues, 100%, stay right here in the province. Good luck tonight. The largest gold ball ever, $68 million for Lotto 649. Get your tickets at playalberta.ca. We've had lots of guesses, and uh, one of you finally got it right. We had a lot of Dustin Bufflins. Uh, the, the Dave Gagne one made me chuckle. Uh, Danger Dave was never playing at 280. Uh, Mike Rupp. Had a few guesses for uh, Rupper. Then we got uh, quite a few Kevin Lefstrude guesses. Some uh, Patrick Cabongos. And uh, finally, though, we did get the uh, the one correct from Will, who uh, got our guest today on Who Is It Wednesday. He uh, won a championship in college, uh, won a ring as a pro, had a 10-year uh, pro career, was a third-round pick. Played it to 280. Now, the one hint I was going to say, but then I thought it would be too obvious. And uh, once lost his job for telling the truth. <laughs> Eddie Steele yeah, joins us. Funny. Eddie, how you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent. That's a good one, Greg. It's funny that uh, someone said Bufflin because that would be the equivalent of if I played hockey, right? Same skin color, a little bit taller, but he was rough and tough, man. I loved him on the ice. Oh, dude. You ever see the Bufflin Gazda kit? Like Luke Gazda's oh, yeah. six foot four. I remember talking to Luke about it. Like Luke's a big man. And he goes, I felt... Like a bug on a windshield. 
Yeah, it, it, some of the stuff that I saw Bufflin do, because he was a part of the Jets when they first came back, and like there was a ton of craze around Winnipeg at that point. And you were playing time. for the Bisons, right? I was No, I was uh, already playing in the league, oh, so okay. I was with Hamilton, but I would spend my off-seasons in Winnipeg, and I had a condo right downtown close to MTS Center there, so it was just crazy. And, you know, some of the things you'd see him do where he's just manhandling a couple of guys and literally just making NHLers look like boys is pretty incredible. I loved it. So uh, Eddie Steele, of course, now is our, our co-host on uh, Kevin Carey's show uh, every Friday. And so a little cross-promotion here. But a lot of people, you know, there's lots of stories on, on who is it Wednesday for, for guys. So, you know, you're six foot two, You played at 280, thick dude. Mm-hmm. But, like, how would you get into football? And did you ever, you know, were you ever a hockey guy? Did you ever have any other sports growing up? Yeah, I, I did everything growing up. And I'm actually a big advocate. And I, I've done a ton of coaching with youth over the years as well. And I always tell kids and their parents, play sports. Do as much as you can. Don't just go singular focus um, from 13 on or 12 on, you know. The more the better because it shapes you as an athlete. And it just develops different skills. I mean, the great one, Wayne, he always talks about when the season was over, he'd put the uh, skates in the base and he'd be playing ball and I'm a firm believer in kids should be doing more Uh, but in regards to my career my dad actually uh, was a football player and he was one of eight brothers and two sisters and there was a couple of pro soccer players involved in that mix of children so my dad played a year of pro in Hamilton so very athletic background I started playing when I was 13 years old Uh, my parents kind of held me away from football because of you know the the risks associated and whatnot Uh, so so I had to beg, and finally, in grade eight, I was able to play at 13, and uh, the rest is history, you know, in a sense. Did you always play D-line? Yeah, always played D-line, always played O-line. Uh, the, my favorite thing about playing defense was you get to hit people, right? And I was a big kid. I was always uh, probably the biggest kid in my class. So the fact that I was able to – what I love about football is it's um, – you're allowed to do some things that you wouldn't normally be allowed to do on the playground <laughs> and not get in trouble for it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to be able to unleash some some energy and to be able to hit kids, uh, not only just play for the hitting, though, but play for the team camaraderie and build some, some lifelong friends because of the game. Uh, it, it's been spectacular. So let's kind of go through your your career. Of course, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you were drafted in the in the third round by the Tiger Cats, and you played with them, and then then you came to Edmonton, and obviously that's where you won a championship. But kind of breaking into the CFL, coming from University of Manitoba, you had success. You guys won a, a Vanier Cup, so you know you, you probably felt pretty good about it. But how big was the jump for you? From college to the CFL? It was a significant jump. And the biggest thing is the speed. You know, guys, even in practice, the practice speed and tempo is so fast and so rapid. It's like full sprints out there. And, you know, you go from being the big dog in college, one of the best and all Canadian, you know, the best defensive lineman at my position in Canada. Uh, and you go from being the top all the way to the bottom of the pool and just having to kind of relearn the game in a sense because even your steps, everything is happening so much faster. You can't get away with with the, the things that you could do in college and still, you know, take false steps and make up for it because you're stronger than guys and whatnot. So, yeah, the, the speed was probably the biggest adjustment in terms of going from college to the pros. So you come into Hamilton, you, you kind of get your feet wet there for a few years, and then tell me about the move to Edmonton. 
Yeah, well, it's remarkable how it happened, uh, how I ended up signing with Edmonton. I'll take you guys back, the listeners, to 2012. And uh, here is young Eddie Steele, a hot shot playing in Hamilton, 24 years old, having a ton of success in the CFL. Is one of the youngest starters uh, at my position for the past two years now. And we're playing a game in Edmonton, week 14. It was a cold week in late October. And early on in the game, it's about a quarter and a half in, right at midfield of Commonwealth, there was a screenplay that Eskimos then Eskimos ran and I was chasing it down and I got clipped from the side by an offensive lineman it was a legal hit now it wouldn't be legal in today's game because it was a blind side where he was running back to his line of scrimmage and I landed on my knee and my knee just exploded and my I tore my patella tendon uh so this injury Greg's it was so bad that they had to bring an ambulance out on oh I remember and we all know typically with injuries uh when a guy gets hurt they bring the card out and they shuffle him off as quick as possible let's get back to playing ball but there was about a 45 minute delay the ambulance literally had to reverse out to midfield they brought me to the royal alex uh because i was playing with hamilton at that point in time uh they didn't want to have me fly with my team back across country to hamilton because it's about a five-hour flight they didn't want me in the air that long there was some fear of blood clotting and whatnot so i spent the night at the royal alex alone the next morning, an ambulance picked me up and took me to the airport, flew me to Winnipeg, my hometown. I had an ambulance pick me up from the airport in Winnipeg, bring me right to a hospital in Winnipeg, and then I had surgery the next day. And then I just did my recovery in Winnipeg. I didn't go back to Hamilton. I had everything shipped back to me. But it's just incredible how it all happened, just the injury in Edmonton, uh, potential career-ending injury, because yeah. I've seen guys tear their patella tendon before. About five other guys throughout my career have seen it, and none of the other guys have really been the same. But I actually had the best years of my career post-injury um, due to the fact, that just the discipline and how I approached my rehab and whatnot. But fast forward into the off-season as I'm doing my rehab, Ed Hervey calls me up and, uh, they, him and Cavis really presented a good opportunity to a guy who was injured, but still they had a really good contract on the table and, uh, came here in 13, was a part of a tough team, but really good defensive line. It was me, Ted Laurent, Almondo Seawell. Like our defensive tackle group was really, really deep. And part of why I think our defensive line was so good is because we all were competitive. And those are the best types of teams where people are competing for jobs. Uh, so it came to Edmonton in 13, coming off of the injury, and the rest really was history in terms of success. Eddie Steele joins us on uh, Who Is It Wednesday. So when uh, Herbie and them presented you, did you give Hamilton, like, did they have the chance to match? Or what was, what was, how did that conversation go? No, uh, Hamilton actually released me about two weeks before. So I was due to be a free agent, uh, February 1st. Yeah. And Hamilton called me up mid January and they released me, which was kind of a blessing because you might yeah, be. Now- you you were still recovering, so I was, how yep. can you release an injured guy? I was my contract was going to be uh, up, okay. so they so, just released me two weeks before my okay. contract was going to be up, and uh, so really all they did was allow me to start talking to teams before all the other free agents were going to do to be free agents on February first, and actually I signed the contract with Edmonton before February first because it allowed me to talk with them before they could maybe offer some other healthy guys some more money. <laughs> so, so it pans out. You come to Edmonton in 2013 and, you know, Edmonton hadn't been very good then for a while. And, um, that first year with Cavis Reed, I, I think there was dysfunction might maybe be a little harsh, but disorganized might be an accurate statement. Dis- yeah. Disorganized, but really talented. 
And uh, we lost five games that year by three points or less. So, like, we were right there in a lot of games. And, uh, you know, that was Mike Riley's first year offense getting together and Darius Bowman and John White. There was a lot of key pieces that uh, we were building the foundation. You could just sit there and think about it that way. We were building the foundation to what led to 2015 and that dominant team. Your first impression, now, obviously you'd seen him in the league, but... A lot of his teammates have told me they were kind of like the their wow moment was when they saw Sewell in the gym. The, you remember the first time you saw him in the gym? And now you're a pretty big guy. I'm assuming you're fairly strong. Yeah, but Sewell can humble guys pretty quick. I've always been the strongest everywhere I've been, literally on most teams in my career. But uh, Almondo Sewell is just—he's a next level strength, different type of human when it comes to the gym. <laughs> he really is the stuff that he just has fun, you know, pressing three hundred pounds above his head, where you know a lot of guys what? are having to explode into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm Greg's. I'm talking just stand still press. Where, just a shoulder press, just shoulder 300. press. Where I'm having Dude. to, you know, really bend my knees. Yeah, jerk that thing up there. It, it's his strength is unbelievable. He'll put 500 pounds on his back like it's nothing and just squat it low too. Yeah, you know. I think things change though as we age though. You yeah, know, yeah, things change. But he was for a while there. Like he was, he could deadlift a freakish amount, and and it was and it was also. Uh, I remember he would go in like, you'd always have new guys in camp, rookies some year, right? And they'd come in and they're in the gym and they're pushing weights, that was no me. big deal, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Sewell comes over and like his warm up reps, guys would tell me it was like 250 yeah. on the bench. And people are like, what? Yeah. And then he'd end up doing like, I think he, I think he benched 600 or something stupid like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. I've seen it in the off season because I've spent a couple off seasons here training with him. I've seen all the numbers. I've seen the facts. It's, and I, I'm strong, you know, out in normal society. I'm, I'm strong. <laughs> and Almond next to him, I'm, I'm nothing really when it comes to strength. Like what was your best bench press? Uh, my most I've ever put up was probably about 480, but you know, I, for example, 37 or 315, uh, three plates. I've done that 17 times. Uh. 225, my most is 52 times. So, 52? Yeah, so I got, I got strength. Yeah. I, I got some strength, but Jeez. yeah, he was different. But with all that being said, uh, a wise man once told me, cause I was that young rookie coming in, just a, a gym rat, right? Yeah. And, uh, he told me, you don't play weights, you play football. Yeah. And it's all about technique and it, it leverage and especially at the defensive line position, it really is. But then you see Almondo where he just literally runs through guys to the quarterback. Like he was so strong and you know, and similar size to you because he's not that tall, right? Like for an interior day, that was now his arms, they used to joke as alligator arms. So that would help him in the bench press, right? Yeah. You, you got a little bit longer arm yeah, so yeah. it's going to be more difficult to do but it, it was amazing kind of you know when you would see someone like that and and these are all big strong men and then there's one guy it's like mcdavid of speed everybody's fast in the nhl and then there's mcdavid and it's like here's Armando Sewell in strength and he's just like the mcdavid of strength it, what's so unique about that you're absolutely dead right about it and for his 12 years i think he's in now he's been known as that guy but even young guys who aren't even in the league very long they know Almondo is that guy but then you even talk to guys like Blake Dermott and Jed Roberts the legends right and they know Almondo's <laughs> that guy it's universal like his strength everybody knows it who's come across him or who follows the league they know Almondo's one of the 
the strongest humans around. Eddie Steele, our guest on Who Is It Wednesday. Uh, we'll return and we'll talk about that uh, Grey Cup championship season in uh, in 2015. Some, some behind-the-scenes stuff that maybe you haven't heard about that, that, that I think you'll enjoy. That's coming up next on The Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Through Wednesday afternoon, Jason Gregor, Connor Halley with you. It is Who Is It Wednesday. Our guest today, of course, uh, Grey Cup champion, Vanier Cup champion, third-round pick. Played at uh, 280 pounds. And, of course, uh, he actually is our Friday co-host on the morning show with Kevin Carius. Uh, Eddie Steele uh, joins us. And, of course, Eddie was part of the uh, 2015 uh, Green and Gold Championship, uh, the last one for them. And not a lot of great years. I guess 16 was a decent year. They were 12 and 6. But uh, since then, it's kind of been uh, a tough slugging, I think, to be an alumni for the uh, the Green and Gold, although you were playing in Saskatchewan for a few of those years, Eddie. But I want to kind of take us back. You mentioned how in 13... You know what? You lost five games by less three points or less. So felt like, hey, our team was close. But there are lots of teams who are competitive, you know, and lose close games, but then never figure out how to win, right? What allowed you guys to figure out how to win? Mm, that's a that's a really great question. As I sit back and reflect here, uh, we were a really tight team, despite having not the best on field success that year in thirteen. Um, like I say, we competed our tails off with each other and we were a tight unit. We had great leaders as when I got to the locker room, guys like JC Sherritt and, uh, guys on the D line, uh, Marcus Howard, who had already been there. And, you know, the culture was starting to be established with those guys and they had some good teams there in Edmonton, uh, prior to 13. Uh, but you you get a that right mix of guys because Mike Riley that's when he came. Uh, Darius Bowman really was breaking on the scene at that point in time. Our offensive line, I'm sure you remember, Greg's. They were just monsters. How big they were! They were like six, seven, three hundred and twenty across the board. Now Donald and Kabongo, you had some huge, huge men. guys, huge guys. Thaddeus Coleman, like huge guys. And you know we had dogs. We had guys with a gritty mentality. And, yeah, of course, everybody has to have that to a degree to be a pro football player. But we were really gritty, especially on defense. And uh, that year we had a historically good defense under Jones. So Jones, you know what? Um, I think he's an excellent defensive coordinator. I think he's a decent head coach. I think he's an average. I think he's an average GM. I think he's doing too much, in my humble opinion. I think it's hard for anybody. I don't care who you are. I think it's too many jobs. But it was clear that he was like... He kind of liked defense more than offense. Like, did you sense that as a player? Oh, totally. You would see where, and of course, yeah, he was our D coordinator, but you would see where the focus would be, you know, the attention, the attention to detail. Uh, he really just let the offensive coaches do their thing, and he was with us 24-7 in the defensive meeting rooms, even though he was the head coach. And, like, I look at, like, Mike Riley, you had a really good receiving core. You mentioned Darius Bowman, Darrell Walker, Right, like the offensive line was good. There's times when I look at that championship and I feel like the players, because coaching's big in football, coaching's very important. Lots of plays are scripted and stuff, but I, I'd heard lots of rumblings that that in 2015 specifically, when McAdoo was the old, uh, when the offensive coordinator, there was lots of times when the plays would be called in and Mike Riley would be in the huddle. And he'd be like, we're not using that play. And he would audible and call his own play. <laughs> I, I don't know that per se in terms of if he would just change it. Although I was in the huddle for two games on offense, yeah. the Labor Day and then the rematch against Calgary. Yeah. But I was just, just shaking in my boots just trying to get my job done. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention to anything else. 
Um, but, you know, uh, that doesn't surprise me. You know that that would happen with Mike. And the reality is this. Um, it's essentially uh, been the same scheme. Uh, same with the defense. It's been pretty much the same scheme with Joe, under Jones as it was here when I played with him in Sask. And it's the same thing now. I talk to guys. And, uh, yeah, the scheme can be the scheme and you can have success, but you need those players to come in and execute. And not just execute, get the job done, but you got to do it at a high level. Like you got to be at a high clip and you got to be doing it at better, a better clip than other teams in the league. Take me through the conversation. Now, you did play offensive line when you were a kid, right? So you played both ways, but going from being a defensive lineman to an offensive lineman in a pro league is fairly difficult. Take me through the conversation when it was first approached to you to say, hey, Eddie, do you want to play O line? Like, did you think Jones was joking? Honestly, it's unprecedented. Like, I've never seen it. I've been play- watching and playing football my entire life, essentially, for 20-plus years. And, you know, I've never seen it in the NFL. I've never seen it in the CFL where you got a, a defensive lineman who's starting, you know, who's your team starting defensive tackle. And then all of a sudden for a week or two weeks, he's playing right guard. And then he goes back to playing defensive tackle. I've never seen that. So, you know, a little humble brag. But the conversation essentially was we were playing Calgary. It was the Labor Day game. And uh, Calgary had uh, – we always had tough bat- battles against Calgary. As you know, it's it's gritty battles. And Jones, honestly, he just came to me and he just wanted a dog on the offensive line. Here I am at 280, um, you know, Which significantly undersized. Yeah, yeah significantly <laughs> undersized. And what's crazy, Greg's, is they had three other guys, offensive linemen on the roster that could have played, but they took me from defense and started me in front of them. So that's kind of, you know, I, I, I wouldn't feel good if an offensive lineman came and started at defensive line over me. I can tell you that. So I, that's, you know, Causes a little bit of controversy, but the the O-line group, they were really good in terms of welcoming me in and getting me up to speed because the reality is, and this is the beautiful thing about football, it is you have 12 guys who have individual jobs, Yeah. but the fact of the matter is every other guy's job is dependent on every other man to do their job. So the, the O-linemen, they had no um, other option in terms of complaining and, you know, just whining about why is this guy playing because you got to get me up to speed and we got to win a game and that's all that matters. So who who was the one who really helped you those few weeks to adjust to the O-line? I was next to Justin Sorensen and... Uh, yeah, good buddy now too. He's he's retired out here, has a couple of kids or has a child out here. And um he he's a very intelligent football player and he was our center and very very intelligent. Well, funny side story about Sorensen is O-linemen they were a soft type of a cleat. Um like little uh, essentially like golf cleats, you could think, you know, soft okay. golf cleats and uh just like little ribbed texture at the bottom. Uh, whereas most skill positions, you're wearing your normal studded cleats. Uh, and you do that because, you know, you're always stepping on each other and stuff like that. So I had my studded cleats and I was always stepping on these guys' feet next to me and they're all, oh, Eddie. And they'd all cuss me out because <laughs> I'd be all over because the old lineman, you're working in a tight space and it makes total sense why they don't wear the hard cleats because guys' feet, you just be piercing them left and right because it's such a tight space that they have to work in. It's pretty funny. Now, Sorensen was 6'10", mm. I think it was, and you had O'Donnell, right, 6'11". Yep. Right, like, 
Have you ever sm- felt that small? As, and you're a six foot two dude. You walk around in public. You're like, I'm a pretty big guy. There, there's, you're in the old line pictures, and it's just it, like, who's the kid who, who who got skipped a few grades? That's the picture I was gonna bring up. That's exactly it. You got these big boys, and then <laughs> just me. It's like, who's this little hobbit in between them? It's pretty <laughs> a funny. Six foot two hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> and then again, what's nuts about it is, you know, Jones throws me into the fire, and I, hey, I loved it, you know. I, I was totally for it. I wasn't shaking in my boots, really. I was for the challenge. But it's going against Micah Johnson in his prime, right? Like, that's at that point in time, it's him and Almondo in terms of the top two American D tackles in the league, and you're throwing me out there. But with that being said, um, I was a pretty intelligent player myself. And, you know, it's different coming over on offense because you can kind of see what defensive linemen are doing okay. because I know what they're trying to set me up with in the moves because that's what I would try and do to the old linemen. So it actually helped me in a sense in terms of being able to read the moves and the counters guys are trying to hit me with. What about your own teammates in practice? Were your D line like is Almondo like all right, Eddie? Here we go. We're gonna tee off on you for a few nah, weeks. <laughs> there was there's there's a brother code there, but he definitely let me feel it a few times. But there's a brother code there for sure. Now, you played. You were at, at when you were a rookie. Patrick Abong was near the end of his career, right? And he's one of the largest humans I've mm-hmm. ever seen. I still remember one time, probably the first time I went and did hot yoga on 149th Street. Strutty's trying to get me into hot yoga. I'm as flexible as a crowbar. So I'm like, okay. So I go in there <laughs> and I get in. And Pat Kabongo is in, in the corner, right? And as I walk in, it was, it almost looked like there were, I'm just like, like, what's that big shadow over there? Yeah. Right? And he's huge. And then he comes, and, and all of a sudden the yoga class starts. And now, like, there's probably a bucket of sweat all over. The guy sweats like no one else. Yeah. Yeah. But he's also very limber for a big dude. He is. Because, have and, to be. and, and he wasn't playing then. He was retired. And so he was still probably about 320 then. Because I'm sure when he played, I think he was a little bit, like, they might have listed him on his weight uh, at like 330. I think he might have been when he played closer to 370. I think that is 100% accurate. Having felt that 372, all of that in a run block. The thing about Pat, and I love Pat. Like, Pat's an amazing dude. He held so much. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, Pat, you would go up against him in film and you would, he would engulf you and you would disappear from the film and you would, all you would see is Pat and his big bear hug around you. Now, if that's not holding, I don't know what is, but he, he got away with it. He sure did. Why'd he get away then, you think? Because uh, he was a cra- savvy vet, and um, when you're a 11 year guy like he was towards the end of his career, man, you know how to play the game. You know, and just like when I got towards the end of my career, there's things you figure out how you can get away with, and um, you get to know the refs too. You know, like uh, people don't want to believe it, but there's something there when you have a relationship with the refs. Of course, they're going to call it fair, but when you b- build that relationship, uh, they're all refs are always going to just factor that in. It's human nature; they're not robots. Eddie Steele joins us, and part of that, that's the gamesmanship, and you must know how certain officials, what they call and what they look for, because there's a lot of people that argue, man, you can get holding on every play if you wanted to in the in the offense and defensive line, and I'm sure defensive line would say, yeah, that's right, you're just holding on every play. O-line would be like, no, 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 I got him in between the shoulders, 
it's totally fine. Yeah. But like, what did you learn as you went on? These are things I can get away with that I'm not going to get called for. Uh, you know what? Actually, like holding as a defensive player, because uh, a big job, a big part of your responsibility is a defensive tackle. So you're on the inside. You're going against the center and the two guards, typically, of the offensive line. And usually you're eating double teams. So you'll have a center and a guard combo. And you don't want that double team to get up to your linebacker because you want your linebacker, J.C. Share it, it was to be free. You don't want that big guy to block up JC. You want JC to make all the plays. So it's a pretty selfless position. So you can hold guys. You know, there's things you can get away with in terms of gripping guys and keeping them in tight and different techniques and not to let them get up to the next level. And offensive linemen, if there's any out there listening, they know that defensive linemen can get away with a bit of holding too. So there's holding on both sides, is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. How. When you when you watch film and or sorry when I watch the game and you see the O line and the D line like every snap it's and you got these two big gorillas on each side and they're just going at it. Mm-hmm. Right? How did you avoid like did you have neck issues? Did you have concussion issues? Mm-hmm. Like like and, and maybe not even announce concussion stuff. Like are, are you seeing stars more often than you care to admit when you played? Mm, that's a good question. That's a real question. No, I have zero documented concussions, Greg's. But the reality is, you nailed that I was a defensive lineman. Tons of repeated headbutts, you know, and the little thump after little thump after little thump. I didn't have the big uh, high impact receiver concussion blackout over the middle, the big hit. But I had a ton of little thumps over and over, probably 25, 50,000 of them over my career from college on. Uh, no, no blackouts really. I saw stars on a couple of hits actually, and uh, that was when I was getting later in my career too. And I that was I think at a point in time where I was starting to become prepared to be done with football. Okay, and that's actually when that type of stuff really started happening. And uh, so was that a sign where you're like, yeah, I got to get out? That was a sign. That was a sign where this is my last year. You know, I'd make a tackle and I'm laying on the turf and bodies are getting piled up and everybody's climbing off of me. And I'm thinking, yeah, I made the play and this is awesome. But man, this sucks. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm only 30. I'm, I had a lot of ball left in me, but I was ready like this. This it's a lot of wear and tear, man. I got into the league young. So I ate up a lot of years throughout my 20s of playing high quality football. And the, like, the long-term effects from football, there are a lot of people, like, the game's now safer than it ever was just because I, I think there, there's lots of restrictions on how many hits you take in practice. And mm-hmm. I think it starts there because I thought you brought up a really good point because not all concussions are the big – everybody sees the obvious one. Oh, look at that guy stumbling. He's probably concussed. Yeah, well, thanks, Sherlock. I think yeah, we right. can figure it out, right? <laughs> but it's, it's the collision, the little ones, the little ones, the little ones, and sometimes they don't look like much, but, it, but it's built up. Um, there's still, and we got a few texts coming in, you know, would Eddie let his kids play football mm. knowing what the game does to you? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm never going to be that parent that, uh, you know, is pushing my boy into football. If he is desperately passionate about the game the way I was, I'm not, I can't stop him, okay. you know, but what I can do, and this is a point that I was going to bring up in terms of avoiding some of those injuries is if you play with proper technique, which I'd had to do because I wasn't the biggest guy. I was only 6'2", and most offensive linemen are 6'5 plus, so I had to use my leverage and my arms and proper technique um, to avoid those types of collisions because when you're close and tight to an offensive lineman, for example, if you're button heads with an offensive lineman, he'll grab you and he'll hold you. And you don't want to be there. You want to have that separation. So you need to come and have proper footwork and proper technique to avoid those close um 
close instances and have that separation. And when you have separation, you're keeping your head and your neck out of it. So that all plays hand in hand with playing the game smart and avoiding injuries. The, the strength of a football player's neck is probably underrated in the importance of it. How did you train to strengthen your neck? Lots of shrugs, shoulders. There was no uh, particular workout that you do uh, because if there was, every summer when you come to training camp, your neck wouldn't hurt when you put your helmet on because it's so funny. Every football player can relate. When you first get to training camp uh, after an off season and you have the helmet on for the first two or three days, your neck is so sore. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's sore not only because you're doing some thumping, but that helmet, the weight of it, and just when you're sweating and moving, turning and running, and yeah, it's it, the weight of it really affects your neck. So you never train with a helmet on in the summer? No, no, I wouldn't. No, no, no benefit. I mean, I see some guys who will run their sprints like three weeks before training camp, and they'll throw their helmet on. I'll see that, but nah. I mean, uh, Dwayne Mandrusiak would never let me have a helmet, anyways, in the <laughs> off season. <laughs> now I want to go back to to the to the Grey Cup run, right? And uh, you guys had a good season that year. You know, Mike Riley had really emerged as a leader for the team, and and his mentality seemed to be one that. The defensive guys respected. Like that guy took some hellacious hits. You know, he, he, rarely was he sliding. He would take an extra hit if he could. It, it seemed to galvanize your group, right? Mm-hmm. How important was Riley's attitude to your success? It was everything, Greg's. Uh, when your quarterback, because the reality is your quarterback is the focal point of a football team. He's a leader, whether he wants to be or not. But as a defensive player, when you see your quarterback go to battle like that, it's so inspiring because you're you're putting your body on the line in a different type of way playing defense or playing offensive line, for example. It's it's a much more physical game for the majority of the game as opposed to a quarterback or a receiver. So when you see your quarterback who, you know, they get this this connotation of being a diva and, you know, soft guys and they just are out there passing. But when you have a guy like Mike Riley putting his shoulder down, coming off to the sidelines with a bloody nose, you know, taking on defenders, refusing to go down that you get so inspired and you just want to go out there and lay it on the line for him. Uh, because when you see a guy who is the quarterback playing that type of physical brand of football, that is so, so inspiring. And you just want to go. Was there a member of your defense do you think was underappreciated publicly for their contributions to that team? Yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all honesty, we all we all got our fair share of pub. We did. The defensive line had Odell Willis, Elmondo Sewell, me and Marcus Howard. Um, you know, at that point in time, we were uh, a $1.5 million defensive line. That's a significant chunk of the salary cap. And we produced, you know, and we all had our shine. And then we had J.C. Sherritt, Dexter McCoyle making plays as linebackers. Yeah, McCoyle was heck He was a athlete. baller, yeah. baller making plays. And then we had Pat Watkins, Otha Foster, Aaron Grimes. Like, all across the board, guys were making plays. Offense, there's too many to list as well. So, you know, we all had our fair share of shine. Yeah, and like John Ojo on the corner like Ojo. came out of nowhere, really, right? Like it, you didn't see that very often. And, you know, his, his career was really short-lived, unfortunately. But, you know, when, when you list off all your starters on defense, it was huge. And quickly, uh, actually, we'll take a break because I want to come back and I want to talk about special teams and the importance of special teams, the mentality of, of special teams and more with Eddie Steele here on Sports 1440. Who is it Wednesday? 
We roll on Wednesday afternoon on Sports 1440 and live on Oilers Nation YouTube. I'm Jason Greger, and we have uh, Eddie Steele, our guest today. Of course, a two-time champ of uh, Vanier Cup, also the uh, the Grey Cup, a uh, 10-year career. And uh, well, I, the, the last hint that I didn't want to use that we joked about at the start, we are going to get to that story in a second, uh, Eddie, because we got a lot of text about it. But um, I do want to get into, you know, we talked about the, uh, you know, that Grey Cup year and and, and obviously it's, it's super exciting and you win and you'd won an Evanier Cup, but can you kind of take us through just what the difference is when you win professionally compared to winning in college? Oh, yeah. When you win professionally, it's the compete factor, right? Like everybody is good and you're playing against the best of the best. So when you come out as the cream on top of that, that's the best feeling when you're the best team in a pro league. And to do it in a dominant fashion, Greg's like we, the great cup game itself wasn't a dominant win. Actually, we were down 13 nothing. Yeah. So it was quickly too. So <laughs> we really had to get our act together, but, uh, we won 10 straight games. You know, we finished the season 14 and four and we were four and four at one point and we won 10 straight games en route to winning a great cup. So if that's not dominance, I don't know what is. What was the conversation when you're down? Like, we're got, we're, we're somebody, was somebody rallying the truce? Was it, was it positive or was it more like, wake up, what's going on? It, uh, man, Henry Burris came out slinging the rock for Ottawa and he was just moving it on defense or on, uh, against our defense it, like butter. Like it was, it was easy for him and he scored those two quick touchdowns and, um, it was, I think, a Darius. He was walking up and down the sidelines, if I recall correctly, and he was typical of Darius Bowman fashion, loud, and you know probably couldn't really understand everything he was saying. <laughs> but it, our offense goes out, and they move the ball, and they got us the points that were needed to kind of stop the bleeding. And then we're back in the football game down seven thirteen, and you know you can battle from there. We see a lot of the guys that were characters, like Odell Willis, you know, big personality. Who are guys that maybe had a bigger personality that people never really knew inside that room? Oh, J.C. Sherritt is one of the funniest football players uh, I've ever played with. Um, great leader, great man, but just great prankster, great jokester. What's the best uh, prank you saw? Oh, just the way they would do typical stuff, you know, in terms of taping up guys' stuff. Um, just the jokes, making fun of guys. Uh, one funny... <laughs> Funny joke, Marcus Howard. This is a funny one. We're in training camp in 2016. So this is the year after we won the Grey Cup. We get a new coaching staff in and Mike Benavides was our defensive coordinator. And we were uh, just trying to figure out his scheme and trying to work with it. And we come in for a meeting in training camp after our lunch. So he walks in and he's got some leftovers on a plate. And uh, Benny, there was a bunch of guys sitting in the dark room and Benny was back in the far corner. And Marcus Howard walks in and he's like, man, I can't stand playing in Benny's defense. And Be Coach Benny, he sits up from the back corner and he just kind of, huh? And then Marcus sees him and he's like, oh, Coach, my bad. Coach, it was the most funniest thing I've ever seen because he he didn't know it, but uh, it was all love because it was just jokes. Uh, but it was so funny how he said that, not knowing the coach was sitting in the back. It was hilarious, Greg. Did JC set him up? No, nobody oh. set him up. Nobody oh. set him up. And actually, he used a little more colorful language yeah. than I said here, uh, which makes it even funnier. And then Benny didn't take it personally, right? Because we're all just getting to know each other. But it was stuff. probably true because the scheme was very different than what you'd won with. And it, I could understand where guys like, 
Why are we switching it? We just won. Yeah, it's the truth. And, the, you know, why we switch it is because every coach wants to implement their system, as you know. But just the way it went down and how he just he said it, not knowing. And then Benny just, like the undertaker, just sits up from the back corner. And the way Marcus had to fumble his way back to retrace his steps, it was hilarious, man. Why do you think that is in football? Like, they're... <laughs> I don't know if it's an arrogance, maybe that's the wrong word, an ego for coaches, but you have success in it. Why do you, if you come in as a coach and say, well, I know this works for these guys, even though it's not mine, why don't we keep it? Why does that not happen more in football? I'm not. Yeah, part of it is that arrogance. You know, every coach wants to do things his way. And I think it's like that in most sports. You know, the coaches want to go about it their way. Everybody thinks their system is the best and most new and improved. And yeah, I, in my honest opinion, I think the game of football, um, it is coached at a high level, but I think that it is to a degree even overcoached. You know, oh, yeah. I think the X's and O's are a little bit overkilled and watching, you know, nine straight hours of three different plays in the film of three different plays. Yeah, you can get tips on offensive linemen and stuff, but I think it's a little overkill for some of the coaching. I did want to ask you about film room because I've heard, you know, it can be constructive, but I think there, there reaches a point where your focus just isn't going to be there. And now you're watching film almost for the sake of watching it. Yeah, exactly. And like when you're brain dead and you're, you know, you're just going to your phone to text and stuff like that to distract you, uh, which you would see a ton of guys do. It's like, what are we doing here? We're wasting time. Now, uh, when you finished playing, like you played around 280, mm -hmm. and then like some guys will lose weight right away. Some guys will gain weight. Uh, how was retirement early for you in the weight category? I've always been desperate to lose the weight, and you're right, man. When guys retire, they... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Go one of two ways. It, it, usually the, the linemen drop the weight and the skill position guys get the guts. That's what I typically <laughs> find. 
But no, when I was back uh, before college, I was uh, I was really big, Greg's. I, coming out of high school, I was 350 pounds. What? I, yeah, I was huge. I had already established myself, got my full ride scholarship to the U of M. So that summer, heading into my first year of college, man, I was doing all the wrong things. I wasn't training. I was partying and eating McDonald's at the end of the night, you know, and I ballooned up. And uh, almost lost my scholarship. Well, I did lose my scholarship because I wasn't doing the right things in the classroom or off of the field. Uh, and I really had to get my act together throughout university in order to get my scholarship back educationally and to get my football career on track to the path that I wanted it to be on. So, yeah, now I'm walking around at 250. So I've lost 100 pounds uh, in my life. Something I'm kind of proud of, but it's all the hard work, man. So 350 and you almost basically ate your way out of part of mm-hmm. your way out of out of uh your football career. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was just wasn't doing wasn't living right party eating myself out. We were talking about nicknames uh last Friday with Kev on the morning show and I had two nicknames throughout my career. My pro career that my nickname was uh, the real deal. Yeah. But in college, yeah, uh, cuz I was so big, they called me tons of fun. <laughs> 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 but I could move. That's the thing. Like yeah. I was so athletic. I was big and I could move. Not something that like I'm bragging about, but that's just I was blessed and gifted genetically. And uh, once I started doing the right things and it clicked, man, I, my career took off. So when you were 350 and you're playing, so you'd come home like what were like what was in your bag of McDonald's? At the at two oh, in the morning, man. like how many? What do you what do you eat at that point? Oh, what are you putting back? Oh man, I would easily do a twenty piece nugget, maybe a McDouble, a Junior Chicken, of course fries. The biggest killer for me, how I gained a ton of weight through high school, is pop. Man, drinking oh, those calories, yeah. pop is terrible. Uh, we don't touch pop at all in the Steel household because yeah. it it really does you no benefit other than the simple pleasure of tasting good. There's other things that taste good that are way less terrible for you than pop you know not only for the sugar that's in a can of pop just what it is and what it does to your insides no bueno and that's what i was doing i was crushing pop crushing my mom would go to costco and you know god bless her she didn't know what she didn't know she was just trying to feed her boy and uh, you know the awareness of nutrition probably wasn't as um, in your face back then uh, so, you know, she'd go to Costco and get flats of pop and I would just go and pop two of those in my pocket and go out on the block with my friends and play in the front and stuff and drinking it like water. Yeah. Great. Well, yeah. Pop is uh, definitely a, your teaspoons of sugar. You're just crushing it, right? Exactly. It's a ridiculous uh, amount. Now, are you a big football fan now? Like, do you watch all the games and t- like, I know obviously you're doing rider stuff, so you got to watch all those games, but mm-hmm. If it wasn't your job, would you be like, are you a diehard football guy? Yeah, I am. I am. It's a passion of mine still. I love watching the game. And I've always had this knack. And, you know, I, I do the media stuff, which I love, you know, radio and getting the media hits. But I love, I, I always had this passion to call games. You know, I've never really pursued it, but I've, I've always, whenever I watch football games, I would call things out and then the announcer would say exactly what I said. And it's, it's not uh, a coincidence. I feel that that's happened throughout my career when I'm watching football games and I've been able to call a couple of U of A games and I, I think they've went well, but that's something that I always enjoy. I sit back on the couch and kind of just call out a game and then hear the announcers call. It's pretty cool. Now, you played Hamilton, Edmonton, Saskatchewan. Uh, you won, of course, uh, with uh, the green and gold. So are you more connected to that franchise, do you feel? Like, are you more of a fan of them? And are you a fan of any uh, 
NFL team at all. Yeah, anytime you win, you know, that Grey Cup, that just connects you uh, on a different level to the team, to the community, hence the reason I'm back here and my roots are set down in Edmonton. Uh, part of that is because of that championship team and just the relationships established. Uh, with NFL, uh, I'm a Vikings fan, being from Winnipeg. They were the closest okay. in proximity. So, man, don't give me that look back there, Connor. Don't give me, <laughs> man, don't give me that look back there, the Chargers. Top 0-3 start for the, the old Chargers. Eh? Yeah, <laughs> it's been tough, man. It really has been tough. Everybody's dogs on Kirk Cousins, but Kirk Cousins is a good, productive quarterback, in my opinion. You, uh, uh, Most of the NFL would die to have a quarterback of Kirk Cousins to put up the stats and efficiency that he puts up. Well, I got two really good receivers, but uh, as a defensive guy, you must look at their defense and be like, come on, man. Yeah, it's pretty soft. It's pretty soft. Yeah. And Eddie, lastly, for any of our lives, we got a lot of text. People really enjoy this. Of course, you can listen to Eddie every Friday morning uh, with Kevin Carius. Um, outside of uh, of doing the, the radio thing for fun, what you, now you're kind of in a, not a family-run business, but you kind of follow in the footsteps of your dad. Yeah, so I'm in sales for a chemical maintenance company, so I do lots with different industrial facilities and maintenance products, so HVAC, grease traps, drain maintenance, boiler treatment, cleaning chemicals to a degree too. So yeah, it's pretty uh, multifaceted. So, uh, yeah, I can pretty much do business with any facility. We're a vendor with AHS, so I do tons with the hospitals in the region. And, yeah, it's uh, as I was telling you, life is all about relationships, man. That's what it comes down to. And uh, did you ever get your ring back? Ah, yes, that's my two infamous stories: getting fired from Chet and losing my Grey Cup ring. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I got it back. Where'd you lose it, uh, Greg? We don't have time, but okay. that's another story. I can't wait to tell the listeners. <laughs> okay, and yeah, we, I do want to end on that. Um, for those, and I started with it earlier, kind of jokingly saying, "Hey, you know what? Uh, basically, got let go for telling the truth." Were you surprised? at how that went down because what you said was accurate it wasn't disparaging it wasn't rude it was just simply accurate yeah it was uh quite surprising um i thought i was going to get a, a shot just because nobody even told me anything nobody's had any do's and don'ts now that's not me saying i'm giving myself an excuse or anything i messed up and i own that but you know i I thought what I was doing was right, especially um, I was, you know, some of my colleagues were telling me, oh, this is good stuff, too. So I thought I was, you know, on the right path. Lo and behold, I crossed the line. Yeah, I've, I've, I don't even know if you really crossed the line, man. Because, In their eyes, yeah. I don't think so either uh, because they fired the GM for literally everything I said. Nothing that wasn't the truth. I didn't, you know, call him down. I didn't speak out of my butt. I just pointed the finger at him, and management didn't like that. Well, well the fact of the matter was it was true. And uh, and Brock Sutherland, uh, uh, you know, actions speak louder than words, yes, man. Sir. And yes, uh, his actions as a GM, uh, you know, really ever since Ed Hervey left, um, the GM chair hasn't been filled as adequately. No, since. it really hasn't. I'd agree. Yeah. And um, now I do. that leads me to one question for you. Mm. Do you think? Chris Jones stays in all three roles or do they have to find a way to lower the workload for him for them to be successful moving forward? Without getting too much in the mind of Chris Jones, having played for him in Edmonton and in Saskatchewan, where in Saskatchewan he was all three, I did see a shift in the attention to detail from when he wasn't wearing all hats. When he was just a coach, his attention and focus on the details was so sharp and we had great execution because of that. Uh, when I saw him in Saskatchewan, I personally noticed that, yeah, 
he was getting stretched. The attention to detail was not what it was in Edmonton, and I could see it from my vantage point. And nobody else would know that because nobody else has been through the trenches like that with Chris Jones through a couple different organizations. Well, I just think there's only so many hours in the day. Right? And you just, it's it's hard to, to manage everything. It's very difficult to do. Eddie, thanks so much, man, for coming in on uh, Who Is It Wednesday. We we really appreciate it. Continued success on the morning show. We'll definitely have to have you back on. Maybe when the Vikings win. Right? Like, who knows when that'll be? Maybe this weekend it if, should be. If. Yeah. Uh, don't tank now for Caleb. That's the talk. <laughs> All right. That is uh, Eddie Steele. We will take a sports 1440 update brought to you by Ewell from LED Lighting Audits and Retrofits to Design Built Distribution Systems. Ewell's services can give you the edge you need to impress your clients. E-W-E-L dot C-A.